You're listening to an Imagine More podcast. The presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 Get That Good Life Conference. Hi, my name is Garth. I would like to tell you about Fauna McTouched. And Fauna works with Imagine More. She needs to school to work project she's like to help young people with disability find good and interesting work for now we'll be joined by Gina and Jesse's word Jesse is in year 12 She's loved drama and singing. She is doing a spa at primary school. Just want to help people with disabilities to be trusted friendly. And genius is Jesse's mom. She is a Yes, for inclusion, he is always want Jesse to have a good life. Ever proud and Furna, Jess and Gina will talk about using discovery to find work. I hope you enjoy this presentation. Hi everyone, Gus, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm thrilled that you have the opportunity to express yourself and show your skills to others. And today's talk is actually very much about you and many other young people with disability who want to work, are ready to work and are showing their potentials and their skills such as you do through being given an opportunity. So I am Fiona McIntosh and I'm working with Imagine More as their school to work coordinator. And I'll be joined today by Jessie and Jenna Ward, who will be talking about Jessie's experience in getting ready for work. So the School to Work project is a three-year project that's funded by the Department of Social Services. Um, it's about building the capacity of families to support their young person who's in secondary school to uh, work towards finding paid work or self-employment. It's a national project that we're delivering with resource and inclusive communities who are located within Family Advocacy in New South Wales and also the Community Resource Unit. So today we're going to have a look at customised employment and a particular process within that called discovery. So we'll have a look at what customised employment is and how it differs from traditional methods. We'll also have a look at the um, the tool, um, an evidence-based tool of discovery, which helps us to understand who the person is, their conditions, their interests and their potential contributions. And we'll also hear from Jesse and Jenna who have used discovery in their life. And then we'll be going through some discovery exercises and looking at how we can translate people's interests into potential work interests, looking at their conditions for success on the job and also looking at their potential contributions. 
So you might be familiar already with some of these concepts. You might be a practitioner who is implementing customised employment. You might have heard um, Milton Tyree's presentations today and last week. You might have come to an earlier webinar or you might just generally be aware of the concept. This material that we're presenting today is drawn from evidence-based tools um, developed by Mark Golden Associates, who are leaders in customised employment and have been so since the 1970s. You'll also find today that the language today is, is very much around um, thinking about families and a family member. But if you're a service provider or school staff or other professional, it might help for you to uh, consider one person as we're going through some of the exercises today. So, customised employment um, has come out of the US in the 1970s and it's really grown in Australia over the last 10 years due to the possibilities that are there now under the NDIS. It's been really successful in creating employment um, for people who face significant barriers to employment. So, if you think broadly about how it compares to traditional methods, um, so traditional methods are about the competitive application for vacancies type approach, whereas customised employment, instead of applying for vacancies, is about approaching an employer to propose work and to negotiate a job that best suits the contributions of the job seeker and also benefits the employer. So if we look at some of the key differences, so customised employment tends to be an individualised job that is um, negotiated around a person's specific interests, conditions and contributions, which we'll have a look at in a bit more detail, as opposed to that competitive, comparative approach, which we know excludes people with significant disability. Customised employment assumes a readiness to work whereas traditional methods tend to rely on assessments and evaluations of whether the person is deemed ready, and which is then usually followed up by supports in terms of um, communication skills, life skills that are offered from a classroom setting or from a simulated work environment setting. But we know that it is very difficult for people with intellectual disability to transfer knowledge from a general classroom setting to a, a workplace setting. So, Customised employment is all about real workplace experience and growth. In terms of what it looks like, um, it tends to look like a job in a regular business in the community or a business that is owned by an individual. Compared to a more traditional approach, which is around looking at group programs where there would be a relationship between a service provider and an employer about a group of people with disability as opposed to a job being specifically designed around the needs of one person. Sometimes too, this can look like um, family businesses that have expanded to employ a group of people with disability. Customised employment is very strong on negotiating at least a minimum wage for the person, whereas traditionally, particularly people with significant disability tend to either be unpaid or below minimum wage. And we know that unpaid work can come in different forms. So for some, it's the voluntary program that people knowingly sign up to. For others, we know that some are, are stuck in an endless cycle of work experience for their employer, even though they're doing tasks of value um, and generating revenue for that employer. We also know of people who have been assessed as being competent to receive an award wage, but are then on a wait list to actually get an award wage.
So we understand families, it can be quite difficult. Um, many families are reluctant to ask for a wage, but we really encourage you to think about what fairly waged work looks like and know that there are others who have asked for waged work and have received it. And also our future webinars cover this kind of scripts that you might go to for an employer to ask for that. So customised employment. Today, we're going to look at the first stage primarily, which is discovery, which is all about getting to know the person, um, their conditions, interests and contributions, which you would have heard um, Milton Tyree talk about this morning in his presentation. Discovery is really about asking, who is this person, not what do you want to do? So with the results of discovery, we would create a plan for employment and a visual resume. The next step would be then to cultivate employment opportunities. And this involves job development, um, researching workplaces, approaching employers to show them the benefits of customised employment for their business and also the potential contributions of a particular individual. The third stage will be around engaging somebody to provide employment support to the um, person on the job. And at that point, that might be a service provider or it might be somebody who you engage directly if you're self-managing. And then the final stage is about supporting that person to grow in terms of increasing their skills on the job, looking for new opportunities potentially within that workplace, but also potentially um, other workplaces as well. So first, we're going to have a look at implementing the discovery process. So um, internationally, we know that there's three ways generally that are being implemented, uh, implementing customised employment and discovery. The first is facilitated. So that is where you would engage a facilitator to conduct observations, uh, conversations, and potentially group conversations as well. And Jenna and Jessie are a great example of um, people who've gone down that path. The other type is peer group discovery, and that is around job seekers themselves coming together voluntarily to work out uh, where they want to go for work and to support each other in that journey. And then there is self-discovery, which is more of a reflective process. And this is the process that families tend to use that we're aware of here in Canberra in terms of uh, people who are looking to conduct the majority of discovery themselves. So in terms of where discovery is conducted, it's better to get out of the office and out of program areas. Each environment shows unique aspects of a person. And so other environments you might consider is ones where the person feels most comfortable. So at home, school, their neighbourhood, um, in a community program, whether they're engaged employment as well, or outdoors, if they're on holiday or travel, because each of these environments will show us something unique about the person. Also, think about in terms of those people who you might have conversations with or bring together for a group gathering. Think about people who have an optimistic view of the person's potential. People with pessimistic views can really derail this process. So it's important to follow the job seeker's lead in terms of who they might want there. And so thinking about people who might have regular contact with them and also engage in reciprocal relationships. So friends, co-workers, there may even be professionals in the person's life who your family member might want there to contribute as well. 
So in terms of what does a rich discovery um, look like? So we've talked about that initial discovery, the conversations with people, observations, group discussions. For many people, it can be difficult to find, uh, particularly for young people who haven't had much exposure to work environments or their interests are just developing, or for people who haven't had those opportunities in the past. Again, important to follow the job seekers lead in terms of what they want to do, but you might suggest activities that they could try out and that you could get to know the person and what their interests and capabilities might be. You also might visit uh, a community venue that has been of interest to them that they haven't visited. The ideal as well is to look at expanded discovery activities. So that's about giving people opportunities, particularly in a vocational setting, to experience different types of work or education. So obviously this is a bit easier if you're at school and in terms of taking advantage of all the opportunities around work experience or ASVAs or um, volunteering for young people who have left school. You also might consider asking people for a short paid work trial. You can still organise work experience after people have left school and you can also perhaps consider volunteering. But just keep in mind that those experiences ideally should be time limited. Now we're going to hear from a family um, who are in the process of doing discovery. So Jessie um, is a recent Year 12 graduate. Um, her discovery process started in year 12 um, and she's tried a diversity of work experience um, and she had an ASPA or an Australian um, school-based apprenticeship um, and she's had different tasks working with children, um, administration, um, she does a lot of um, after-school activities in um, theatre, performance um, and this next video we'll hear from both of them about how they've gone about the discovery process. Hi, I'm Jenna Ward. And I'm Jessie Wood. And we're going to tell you about our experience of the discovery process, which we did earlier this year in May 2021. The discovery process is something that I've been thinking about and known about for quite a while. And as Jessie was coming up to finishing year 12, at the end of this year, it became more urgent to do it. And um, we got in touch with Imagine More and we realised that we could get help from one of the Imagine More staff, we actually employed one of them on our NDIS um, with our funding, which is self-managed, to be a consultant to us to help us do the discovery process. And that involved meeting with us beforehand, helping us think who we'd asked. Um, I drafted an invitation email, but Jan had a look at it and approved it. And then we had um, Jan was our consultant, came along and facilitated the meeting with Jessie, invited Jessie to do it with her, and then we talked a bit afterwards about the results. And that was wonderful to have a facilitator from the outside. I actually do facilitation in my work, in my paid life. And I'd, for years I'd been thinking, oh, you know, well, I should facilitate that. I want to do it. I'll facilitate. But I just couldn't do it because it was too close. It just wasn't going to work, and that's what stopped me for a long time. So I can really recommend having a little bit of help from outside and somebody else to run the process. So how was the lead up for you? Um, I was pretty nervous at first. Um, I hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do once I'd graduated that much. Um, and then mum mentioned it to me. She was like, hey, do you want to have this 
discovery meeting where we get a group of people together and we ask them different questions and we try and figure out what might be good for you to do when you graduate. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to. So then we met with Jaron like a week or maybe slightly more before the actual discovery meeting and I got to chat with her and ask her questions and she was really nice and really put me at ease. Um, and then she came over a bit before the actual discovery meeting and chatted to me and told me how the whole process was going to go. And she actually asked me if I wanted to help run the meeting. And I was like, sure, <laughs> why not? And yeah, so you actually sat out the front of the room. Yeah, I sat out the front of the room with her. And it was in our lounge room. Yeah, it was in our lounge room. We yeah. cleared some space and put a whiteboard up where the TV used to be. And we had scones and drinks and... Yeah, and it was just a really cool experience. It was really great hearing about what people thought. Yeah. And I had about 12 people came and they were... Um, Jesse and Jan, and then Jesse's family, parents, brother, grandmother, and then one of her friends and one of her brother's friends, so a couple of young people, and some of my close girlfriends who've been around Jesse for years and know her, and a couple of family friends and sort of aunties. And there were four people who had been invited and couldn't make it, two more young people and two of the older people. Um, and but we had a it was a great meeting with the twelve. Yeah, and good. then after the meeting, um, we I typed it up all the kind of outcome of that. You know, we talked about what Jessie, what really she loves, what she's really into, what would be good environments for her to work in, and a couple of brainstorms in the meeting about different areas, how you could get into different areas of activity and works. And then after I typed it up and I went around four more people, I interviewed sort of individually and I had a little sheet that I asked them questions on and that was Jessie's maths teacher, drama teacher, business suit teacher and singing teacher. And yeah. they all had fantastic ideas and, and it was really and it was really nice for me. I wasn't there when you talked to them, but it was really nice for me to hear what they thought and what they thought of me, because you kind of have an idea of what they think you might be good at or what they think you might like doing. But actually hearing what they actually think was really cool, and I really enjoy kind of seeing what they think of me or what they kind of know about me, because they've all known me for a pretty decent amount of time. Yeah. So that was really cool. So there are a lot of good outcomes from this meeting. Oh, like so many. One was that on the day, we all felt really uplifted and optimistic. Yeah. Had a lovely feeling. Felt great. <laughs> and afterwards, for a few days, people, participants, we were all going to each other, wow, that was good. Gee, that was a good thing to yeah. do. And I felt really great afterwards because people came up with so many amazing ideas that I hadn't even thought of. Well, that I'd That's thought of and yeah, the positive things or things that I'd thought of and thought, oh, how the heck am I going to do that? Like, how am I going to make that possible? But mm -hmm. they just made it make so much sense. And I got like, a lot of confidence about next year. It really mm -hmm. helped me as a mum to kind of know what what to aim for, what you know, what would suit you, and it's yeah. feel like 
yes, there's a good yeah. plan and a good path ahead. Definitely. Been good for your confidence. And I'll just say one other bit. We got a couple of ideas out of it about what would be good for Jesse that were like totally um out of the blue. <laughs> like we never thought of them and they are so on the money. One of them was advocacy. Yeah, Jesse's brother said, well, Jesse really likes talking about discrimination and um, justice and people being treated well. Maybe she'd, you know, be a good advocate. I was just like, yes. And now I'm in an advocacy group, which is awesome. <laughs> so that's been really good. Yeah. And then one of your teachers who'd consulted some other teachers <laughs> had the idea about um, just noticing how much Jesse loves to be an orientation person to welcome new people in and make them feel at ease and show them what's going on. And she had all these ideas about jobs that would involve that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And a whole lot of other things. So it was a very positive. No, really positive. And I've recommended it to so many of my friends, some of them who don't have a disability, just because I think it was such an amazing idea and it really helped me figure a lot of stuff out. And I think it's really handy for anyone to do, regardless of whether you have a disability or not. Hmm. So we highly recommend. Highly recommend it. Thank you, Jesse and Jenna, for sharing your experience. It's a fantastic example of a really rich discovery where Jesse's learning both through her many interests, her ASPER at school, um, also her the discovery process in terms of those that group gathering and Jenna's interviews with her teachers. So as you can see there, it was a real great boost for Jesse's confidence and also, you might have noticed as well is it really broadened the possibilities in terms of the direction that Jesse might think about. And it's a great thing to do in terms of having it both facilitated because sometimes we can have an incomplete or an uncertain view um, about ourselves and our capabilities. And having somebody external can help to facilitate and draw out other people's ideas about how they might see Jessie being in the future. So that's really exciting to see where she's going. Also, um, I loved, you know, when you're talking about, well, how the heck am I going to do that? And yet still put it there as a possibility. And one of the greatest things I've seen about customised employment is that when people who grow their skills on, on the job often exceed their family's expectations about what they thought was possible. So I think that's a really, um, the gem of customized employment and discovery is that it broadens your possibilities and you, you can have a much better likelihood of finding something that matches your interests and your contributions. So now we're going to do some activities that look at how we can translate our everyday life activities into possibilities. So if you watched Milton's presentation this morning, you would have seen he would have talked about these three things. So that is people's interests, people's conditions for success and their potential contributions or the things that you might offer an employer. So first we're going to have a look at interests. So one of the um, strongest things to look for is people's intrinsic motivation. And I have seen many adults with disability 
be able to be successful and acquire new skills in jobs where they're intrinsically motivated to do so. And the intrinsic motivation helps people to learn. It is the greatest indicator of what a reliable interest is. So how do you find an intrinsic motivator? I always think about that. It's that stuff people are driven to do. So another way of looking at it is when people do tasks that they're not expected to do. Other interests, um, obviously people have lots of interests. Some people have very few interests. But other interests, you know, new interests that might come along, um, they kind of might be occasional, they might be uncertain, they might be kind of maybe interests. But I think when you're starting out in customised employment and in discovery, it's a really good thing to start with the things that you know that the person's motivated about. And only a few are going to give you the direction that you need for planning um, if you follow them carefully and explore those interests and translate them well into potential work interests. So these are examples of People we know, people we've heard of, they're all Australian examples. So this is what it would look like if you observed something about someone and how you might capture it in a way that broadens people's possibilities. So one of the, one of the um, risks is that if you try to identify, say, work roles straight up, um, it narrows people's thinking, whereas these exercises that we're going through now are really about broadening your thinking. So somebody who um, enjoys baking, especially treats for their dogs, you would translate that as they might like to work in some aspect of cooking. So cooking is kind of the broad concept that allows more possibilities to be explored. But if you know that they're really motivated um, around that baking, or it could also be that they're motivated around animals, and it would be something you would need to kind of explore to kind of work out what is the driving kind of interest or find opportunities that combine both. So if they often watch cooking shows and enjoy making recipes from them, you could infer that they would likely enjoy working in food preparation. So this is just something that you might notice around the home in terms of people's interests that they spend a bit more time doing or seem to be a bit more invested in than other tasks. That, that would be an indicator. Um, somebody who likes to be outside working in the garden might like to work in an aspect of horticulture. Somebody who enjoys working with children during sport would likely enjoy working with children. You could infer that that was their, um, their interest. And working with children has more possibilities than working with children in sport. So they might enjoy putting together outfits during gaming. So they might be interested in some aspect of clothing design. So we're just going to pause for a moment. If you would like to note down at this point, just for yourself, you don't need to share it on, on the chat, but thinking about a person, either a family member or another person you represent, thinking about what are their interests and just try and reflect on what are some things that they do that they're not expected to do. So it's not like, you know, it's not like a, a chore that they've been set or, you know, something that they have to do something they would do willingly. And um, we'll just take a little while to do that. And we're going to brainstorm a, a person who has an interest in working with children. So what we would love in the chat, if you could put up some ideas about workplaces, industries, ideas that you had for somebody who had an interest in working with children. Yep. So we've got, um, working in childcare. Yep. Yep. And you know, it's a, it's an industry that's in demand, um, for people. 
After school sports, yes. Um, there's so many different activities in our local community, both in the weekends and after school as well. Yep, in classrooms or um, in, in schools. So there's lots of different roles there in terms of uh, support staff, people who might work in the library. Uh, yeah, if you think about school as a setting and all the different types of roles that might um, be within that library would be another one. My, what I've noticed about um, library kind of interests over the years, and particularly, you know, people who like to work in that more, um, the quieter kind of environment is to try to look for things also outside the school gate. That can be, a, it can kind of be a bit of a default one that people go to um, to organise within a school. But if you're able to even get experience within another school, like that can be, can reveal kind of more about that unique kind of setting. Leading games. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you heard Milton's presentation before with Jan and Jack and Julia was talking about um, Jack leading particular games in childcare and that was, um, you know, a proposition that they took to the childcare in terms of things that he could do. These are all fantastic. Thank you. We might get moving only because the 45 minutes is running out way quicker than what I thought it would, but thank you for all of those. And for anybody, if you have a family member who is interested in working with children, hopefully this might give you an idea or two that you hadn't considered. Okay, so next we're going to look at conditions for success. So these are things that makes the best of a person's life possible. So when, when somebody's at their best, what's going on for them? What's going on in the environment? What's going on for their support, time of day? Like really kind of think about when they're at their best and what is it? Is it around people? What kind of activities they're doing? Is it quiet? Is it noisy? Is it is there music that's happening in the background that they really enjoy? Like what's happening for that person that is working well? And it's also which is not working well. So even though it's really important to keep a positive focus when you're doing discovery, it is really important to note down the things that don't work for that person. And that is so unique to each person. And it can be everything from um, noise to personality type to the environment and the, the heat, the cold, the, you know, so many things. So yeah, good to note what is working for the person and what isn't working for the person. Those things that aren't working for the person, there may be things that are, uh, the person can overcome if they're really motivated. <laughs> um, say, for example, they're not a morning person, but there's a job that's come up that really suits them, their skills, their interests, contributions, and they're able to still do it. The intrinsic motivation is there um, to overcome some of those conditions, whereas there'll be other conditions that you know it's it's not going to work unless this happens. So Jan and Jack were talking, you know, earlier today um, in terms of their experience, and they know for Jack that he thrives when he's around other people, and it's not going to work for him if he's in a job left alone to do something. So you know, those people uh, add both the quality of life for him in the day, but also help keep him on task and, and that sort of thing. So here's some examples in terms of things that do work well and don't work well based on real people. Um, so they would work well alongside familiar co-workers, as Jen was talking about today, working part-time so that they have a time to pursue their personal interests. Wearing a work uniform helps to have a sense of belonging in a workplace and to prepare them for a work day. 
working in an environment that brings them into contact with lots of people in the community is examples of things that might work well for people. Things that might not work well for people, so say um, somebody has a lot of anxiety and mistrust of people if they've experienced trauma in their life, they would benefit from being supported from somebody who they can trust. And we've got their anchor signs. So this is thinking about somebody who is hearing impaired. It's not going to work if they don't have somebody who can communicate with them. They might benefit from working in the morning so that they can lessen the risk of seizures in the afternoon. So thinking about people's medical needs and how that might affect people would work well in an environment where they can work at their own pace. So people might, again, if you're like living with high anxiety, then working in a high pressured environment where, you know, things have got to be done on time might not work for you and that might just be a bottom line it's it's not going to work having said that when i've seen people with anxiety come into new roles if you can get a really good employer and supporter somebody who can um kind of support them to take on new things that would otherwise cause anxiety but really gently and real really supportively so don't let the conditions that don't work well to rule anything out absolutely they're not a deal breaker Somebody might benefit from listening to music through their headphones at work to overcome any noise sensitivities that they might have. And people might also benefit from support that assists them to have conversations with others. So if you heard Jacob's example today where he had a co-worker or a supporter um, who helped him to have conversations with customers at Woolies. Okay, specific contributions. So this can be really challenging. Um, this is the most challenging part of discovery. So these are the things that you can offer an employer. And it's the type of thing you would list in a visual resume that's tailored for the particular workplace that you're going to. It's the most challenging aspect of discovery. One, if people haven't had much experience in a workplace, you've really got to put time into suggesting, facilitating activities that you can get a bit more information about their potential contributions. The other thing is it's difficult for anybody to know what actually goes on in a workplace. So you might have contributions that your family member might have and there might be workplaces out there that you've never considered, but this is where it's good to involve other people in your vision because they can give you both contacts, ideas, and just that inside information about what actually happens in particular workplaces. Some skills don't need translating, work experience, volunteering, vocational studies, direct translation into skills that you could put in your visual resume. And when you're looking at them, it's better to look through the lens of the person's particular interest areas. So if they're interested in working with children, mention contributions that relate to working with children. And I have to say, I have seen and we're aware of where people have one contribution in their resume and they've been able to create or people supporting them have been able to create a job that a customized role that suits that particular one contribution. So ideally six to eight is better, but one you can still do. So to wrap up, People are ready to work, but they need thoughtfully planned opportunities and discovery gives you that reliable planning information. Explore people's interests, conditions, potential contributions, and look at those from different perspectives and different environments. Look at ways you can enrich the discovery process and avoid asking what you want to do um, because that 
limits people's thinking in terms of potential roles, which ends up being only the things that people are actually aware of. And there's so many more possibilities out there than that. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to an Imagine More podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content.